Hello and welcome to the Unnamed Automotive Podcast. My name is Sammy Hadge Assad, and with me, as always, is my good friend and fellow automotive journalist, Benjamin Hunting. Say hi to the people, Ben. Greetings, human listeners. Greetings to everyone. If this is the first time you're listening to our podcast, thank you for trying something new. I really appreciate it. I think new listeners are what uh, drives me forward, although I also like our old listeners. Now I've got myself in a, in a really pickle here, a really big pickle here. Um, that was the voice of my, of my colleague, Benjamin Hunting. Not only is he a fellow automotive journalist, but he's also a very good friend of mine. Isn't that right, Ben? Affirmative. Okay, thank goodness. We are still recording and you are still my friend. This is important. I am fully engaged. You can find Ben's work all over the internet. Uh, ben, give them, a, give them a couple of URLs or, or publications URLs. That, they could, that they could just punch into their Bing or Google or whatever other, like DuckDuckGo. Do you think or, URL is going to be like a, a term that continues to exist in the future? Like, I don't know. It, it just seems like a holdover from the days when you had to put an HTTP and all of that stuff in the address bar. Nowadays, people just type where they want to go into Google, I think. And then Google or DuckDuckGo, as you pointed out, takes them there. Or, or they, click on a, they click on a Facebook link and are instantly radicalized. <laughs> I, I like it when I see people who use um, Facebook as Google. I think that's the best part. That's true. And, th- and then they just... They make a post up- that says, <laughs> yeah, exactly. says, like, Alexa, open garage door. And you're like... <laughs> <laughs> Um, Ben, come on, tell them anything. Where can they Facebook search you? Sure, you can Facebook search me at uh, Car and Driver at Motor Trend and at Inside Hook. Um, And you can find me on the internet at publications such as AutoTrader.ca, Driving.ca, and Nouveau Magazine. That's that's less on the internet. That's more in in physical print medium. Ben, we've got some cars to talk about this way this week. some pretty one's one's kind of cool. I think I I will really enjoy talking about this until you uh, break me down and make me cry. But uh, I I recently drove the 2024 BMW X2, which is a car, which is a product that people might have forgotten about. Okay, so I remember liking the X2 because it was kind of in X35 trim. I think that's what it was called. Yep. It felt more like a hot hatch than a crossover. It was really just a, a hatchback. That was relatively fun to drive and, you know, not all that tall off the ground. Yes. Are things the same or are they different now? I'm worried about what you're going to say. Listen, if you really like that previous X2, just stop listening now. Um, This is a problem because that I agree with you. That old hot hatch kind of feeling that was found in that M35i model um, it, it is a different product, what they've got nowadays. Um, it's less hot hatchy, and it's way more practical, which is where the X2 stumbled the most. It was extremely compact inside. But, but was that really a stumble? Because to my way of thinking, we already had an X1, right? Yes. And we already have an X3. And yep. both of those are the practical versions of the X2, because the X2 was supposed to be the flashy coupe, I guess. That's yes. how. That's how I interpreted it. And uh, they've changed that. I mean, obviously, oh, BMW good. suggests that all cars must be useful to to somebody in some way or another. Now, this is based on the um, old X, uh, sorry, the, the brand new, recently updated X1, which is significantly larger than the old one. And this one is even longer in in length, at least, than that X1. So... What used to be kind of a small car and a like coopier, cooped version, I don't even, it's not even a coupe. Like, I don't know what to call it. It, 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 
this looks like a sedan on stilts now. Um, and as a result as of its sedan on stilts kind of profile, it uh, is longer than the X1 and uh, slightly less practical because it doesn't have a ton of cargo room uh, due to the height of that roof. So uh, another weird thing to point out when in the transition this time around, it doesn't have a rear windshield wiper. Oh, great. Yeah. That's fantastic. I drove a vehicle without a rear windshield wiper lately, the Ionic 5, which we talked about on last week's show, and it was impossible to see out of the rear. In the winter months, it just instantly becomes dirty, and it's it's a real hassle. Yeah, uh, I've, I had that experience um, just as I, retur- as I was returning this product, and uh, really bummed me out, really. What's the justification it was- for it? Like, what's the reasoning? I didn't get any reasoning. That's just the way it looks now. Now, the, plat- the platform for this vehicle, <laughs> since it's bigger, is it based on the 2 Series sedan that I don't know if... Does that still exist? The Grand... Um, Grand Coupe. Coupe. I, I don't think so. I think this is completely related to a mini product. This is the Countryman Well, the 2 X1. Series sedan was also a mini product. The Grand Coupe. Uh, so maybe they're all, they're all related. This is a modular pro- product as a result. But um, it's important to bring up what we liked about the X, the old X2, because um, I think that has been lost. I think that is completely um, gone now. And in its place is is a good car, but one that is worryingly similar to the X1 in terms of driving dynamics, and and that's a problem. So okay? the styling is just, I guess, is a major part different? of it's a major, huh? Pardon? marginally different or no 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 the styling is totally different than the x1 or the old x2 then then the x1 the current x1 yeah it is i think it's significantly different looking than the uh current x1 um and i actually find it to be somewhat uh it has a couple of good looking angles i found myself actually digging these new grills that bmw's put out um i don't know if that if that opinion is going to last for long as as more people on the internet tell me i'm wrong and stupid but um i actually think it reminds me of the electric cars the i4 and the ix and as far as i understand there is going to be an electric version of the x2 coming um in the future this model i drove is um totally gas powered and there are two versions of it that are coming to to market there's an x drive 28i that's what i drove um which uses a 2 liter four cylinder turbocharged engine and there's also the um x2 m35 x drive which uses as far as i can tell the same engine a two liter turbocharged four cylinder that makes um 70 more pony and 70 more horsepower i didn't even mention how much horsepower the original model had but um <clears throat> 200 uh-huh. sorry go on sorry go go 240 horsepower for the uh, X-Drive 28i, and then 312 or something like that for the uh, M35. Um, and they both have 295 pound-feet of torque. So I looked up the platform. It's the UKL2 platform. Yes, this, UKL2, of course. So, so that, UKL1 was the mini hatch and convertible from 2014 to now, actually. Oh, uh, wow. It's, it's but a 10-year-old UK, platform. UKL2 is a... It's it's not necessarily an evolution of that platform. It's a larger version of it. And this is... It is the one that you'll find under the 2 Series Grand Coupe. Oof. It's also the platform for the Countryman. And mm-hmm. it's been the platform for the Countryman since 2017. Okay. Uh, even though there's... It looks like there's two generations of Countryman on that platform. Yeah. That it's also the Clubman, and then uh, the X1, obviously that you mentioned, and uh, here, here's here's what's surprising though, Sammy, it is the same platform as the previous X2 as well. 
That's very that is interesting. So they so must they distra- it is a bigger product. Like it's overall huge. Like I can't understand how this thing can be considered a subcompact when I look at it. I'm trying to figure out if there are multiple versions of the X2. I mean, it could be like TNGA kind of thing. You know what I mean? Remember like Toyota's TNGA, they say everything rides on TNGA. Right. It it is the same. It is UKL too. So it's it it's interesting that They've gone in such a different direction styling-wise because you're right. When you compare these two vehicles close together, they they don't look anything like each other. It's no. really it's it's kind of a blander look on the new one, I think. And part of that you is think so? yeah, I think so. And part of that is the more protruding uh, proboscis at the front yeah. of the vehicle. <laughs> That's I, what I, I called out. I think I liked it. I okay. but I think it. I don't think it's as visually striking. On the as the old one, which which looked, I mean, maybe that's a design language thing, but the old one looked like it was still in motion. Like it looked really like that to me said coupe crossover coupe. This just, like I said, looks like a sedan, right? Yeah, it 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 kind of looks like a sedan. I'm looking. It's also uh, it's eight inches longer. Yeah, it's huge. And I said I th- that. Didn't I, I say it's huge? You said it was longer, but you didn't say specifically. I'm bringing that number Sorry, up because. Yeah. I'm looking at the body shape and the hatchback on the original X2, it's just gone. Like, <laughs> yeah. you're getting a stretched a stretch at the rear, which I think was probably done for practicality reasons that you were mentioning before. Yeah. So that's, I think, where, I mean, obviously the nose sticks out farther too, so there's going to be a couple of inches there. But that's where I think... Um, you're going to you're going to notice the biggest differences between the two vehicles. It's also kind of crazy that you can get a version of the current X2 that weighs 4600 pounds. It's huge. Yeah, That's it's heavy. a thousand pounds heavier than the heaviest old X2. Yeah. So let's talk like we talked platform. Uh, I mentioned powertrains um, really briefly. There's the the motor has been revised. They've changed the the injection uh, port and dual in, uh, port and uh, a direct injection on it. They've added a Miller cycle to hopefully make it more efficient, uh, and I think that worked kind of minutely. There's also a new seven speed dual clutch transmission, which is standard for both products, and there's a front um, limit slip diff at the front. I mean, it's going to be tough to be more fuel efficient when you're that much heavier. Yes. Right? Um, like the lightest version of the X2 now is within a hundred pounds of the heaviest version of the old X2. Yes. So it, it is, it is, there's a lot new here. And in my opinion, I found the powertrain to be really, um, a highlight of the product. Um, it, it surprised me. I actually, you know, upon writing this, writing this review and doing the video for it, I had to do a, like a, a retrospective and think of the last time that BMW has released a disappointing powertrain, like I can't remember it. I think this well, is a pretty good engine, and I there think there are some it felt people who really... don't like the four cylinders. From I what think I've the heard. four cylinder really delivers on on what it's supposed to do. This one, it's it's quick. I mean, this thing does the 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 lesser powered version of this car does zero to sixty in about uh, six seconds, and the faster one I think does it in five, which is quick, man. This is but a, what's this the personality is... of that engine like? Yeah, it's not like rowdy you know it's not like engaging it's not gonna push you um but i do find the the, that new seven speed dual clutch to be really um well behaved i i was caught off guard by that because i think bmw has had a couple of dcts that were a bit um weird i think is the best way to describe it does it have a park setting or no it doesn't (laughs) it doesn't so you when you press um the the on off button the start stop button um, it just applies the parking brake or you can do it uh, manually and then turn the, turn the vehicle off as well. I just don't understand that. Like it's, and that's a BMW thing because they do that in their EVs as well. Yes. Um, I'm currently driving a BMW EV that does not have a park setting. Isn't that weird? 
weird. Um, this one also has uh, an interesting. My my vehicle had an M Sport package, and one of the paddles had this label that said Boost on it. Um, and when you have to press and you you have to pull and hold that, and it fires it off into the most aggressive um, setting that is is available. So it it tightens up all of the um, settings of the most sport or sport plus settings for 30 seconds or maybe 10 seconds so that you What do you can... mean like it tightens the settings? It's not just an engine thing? No, I don't think it's just an engine thing. I think it, it also adjusts the the suspension it's as like well. It's a suspension boost? Yeah, can you imagine like and I also Does think it lower it's funny the car? Because... No, it doesn't. Oh. But I do think it was funny like I think it is like a very it's it's not as long as I think the Porsche one is. You know Porsche has that sport response button that you press and it does it for like 30 seconds and after you do your pass and like 2 seconds you're sitting there with this car that's like burning so much fuel <laughs> yeah it's at, it's at the red line like 8,000 like, rpm yeah. like what am i doing here <laughs> so i always think it's funny that for for this one is a little bit more uh subdued on that but it, it gets the job done um a major element here that i want to talk about are gimmicks and um bmw loves giving uh their cars gimmicks they love giving them weird technology that you haven't heard of or th- thought of in a vehicle before stuff you'll never they- use like gesture control or what's the the laser the the 3d control thing where you can yeah. your hand over a fake yeah it's stuff so that... i i actually you know the the 3d gesture control was always a, a goofy thing but i think whenever you showed it to friends they always thought that was really neat neat and everyone would want to see if they could do the uh the twiddle their fingers in the air and, and raise the volume this car i don't think has i think bmw is over gesture control oh no they're not you're, they're not. You've got they're a car that ha- that's yes. that's operating. Okay. What they are over in this product is rotary knobs for the iDrive. I don't have what. I didn't have a, a rotary knob for the iDrive. Wow. It was completely. The infotainment system is completely touchscreen um, oriented. There is a volume roller, like a rocker for the volume on the on the near the gear selector, um, and uh, that's kind of it. Did you pop the glove compartment and check for an emergency iDrive knob? <laughs> I I didn't check specifically for that, but I don't think it would be in all the way over there because that would be that would be even worse than just using the touchscreen because we used we used to I think we used to like the rotary knob. Um, I used to think that the only stupid part about it was trying to type in an address or a name and just felt like you were dialing and dialing an alphabet, you know. Um, but instead, in this car, you have a whole bunch of weird features that I didn't think a car needed. Um, there's extra drive modes. One, for example, was called Digital Art, um, which caught me off guard. Yeah, I have that in the vehicle I'm driving now, too. I'm not going to talk too much more about that because that, you know, I'm, I'm basically <laughs> doing next week's podcast now. But So Digital Art, when I when I turned it on, um, it says Start Audio Guide. And then does what it say ha- Welcome Picasso? It didn't say that, oh, but what would ha- waste of opportunity there. <laughs> what happens is the car splashes a digital sort of a, a unique digital wallpaper on the infotainment screen, and then you'd press this digital uh, this audio guide, and then I suppose the artist would walk you through something about should how I they drive. Just should I be driving? Just, I want to. <laughs> I want to circle back to the part where we're driving. <laughs> No, this as soon as you start driving, the audio guide stops. So I didn't know what that was all about. Um, furthermore, as we've talked about in the past, there's an interior cabin camera, and this is not oh, built no. for safety features like Wait, what? it is in Subarus. <laughs> this is for joy, I suppose. And you can take a picture, a very fish-eyed picture of yourself and your passengers in the car. This is the strangest thing. <laughs> 
<laughs> that I've heard you say about it. Like, I know you're super into the Subaru robot camera that watches you and keeps you safe, but yes. you're telling me there is a selfie camera and not only is it a selfie camera, but it's like apparently using like five years ago's telescopic lens kind of <laughs> walleye look. Fisheye, yeah. Um, and then you can, um, because the photo is taken on the car, then it provides you a QR code and then you scan the QR what? code <laughs> and then you can download the photo onto your phone Wait, and of can course I, you can, can share it on social media. Can I view the photo in artist mode in the, on the, in the car? <laughs> yeah, you should. And, and you should be able to provide your own, um, uh, digital audio guide for that. Follow up. Yeah. Like what, what face am I making in this photo? Follow up question. How long before the Kia boys hack these cameras and are taking photos of everyone without their knowledge? I, tr- I was looking at this feature and I was reading about it and I'm like, I don't know who this is for. Am I out of touch? I just told the- you who it's for. <laughs> am I out of touch <laughs> with the world? And then of course there was another feature. There's a digital um, drive recorder where it's basically a dash cam, but you have to be aware of when you want to use it. <laughs> it's a dash cam, but it only points at your face. <laughs> no, no, this points outside the car or any of the other cameras as far as I understand. But like I said, a dash cam, as far as I understand the, the purpose of dash cams is for like security or safety purposes or insurance purposes. For YouTube And purposes. they're always running, right? Yeah. It's you don't want to like, oh, I got to turn on this dash cam and then turn Especially it on. And whatever if you're happens, about to be in an accident. <laughs> yeah. Whatever happens your first instinct. Passed. <laughs> so that's what's going on in this thing. Um, I don't think that's a super useful feature in a in a crossover. Maybe it's better for a track oriented vehicle where you want to track, you want to record your lap. Is it a button you can push and hold down, or how does it work? No, you've got to find it on the app screen and then oh, press it. And then it's press not, it's not happening. <laughs> that's what I'm saying. Um, and then um, there's another feature that I pointed out. There's a video game console in the vehicle, which allows you to use your smartphone as the controllers. Uh, this is only accessible while the car is in park. Um, and there were some really shovelware or like really garbage kind of games in there. They're, they're somewhat entertaining, but they would have been free on the Google Play Store or something like that. They're not free uh, in the car? I have to pay. They are, no, they are, they are what you would consider like freeware. You know what I mean? Like just okay. this doesn't look like a quality product. But then there is like something like called Overcooked, which is a fun little game that you can play with your friends. Um, and I keep wondering about this and it's like, imagine you and three friends wanted to go to a party, but you couldn't go to each other's houses because either you live at home and your parents are living, are, don't want you to have a party there or something. And then you're just like, let's just have a party in our car. And that's how it yeah, works. You know what a like, party in a car is called? <laughs> like, I think I'm pretty sure that that's illegal. <laughs> <laughs> so I, and then you can take a selfie of yourselves. And then I guess really be really be stoked about that. Hey, so did you get to drive the car, or did you just party? <laughs> did you just party in it while taking selfies in your driveway? Like, I, I, I it feels I like did. there's of a lot to I do did. that doesn't involve actually driving. Of course, I did drive the car. It's very um, responsive. It's a, it's a, it feels like a solid BMW on the road. It doesn't feel like the old school, you know, sort of um, really engaging hot hatch style. It's not like UK um, X2. It's not. But I didn't drive the same. Um, powertrain that I did in the past. I mean, I, I, I'm comparing my my experience to this car with one that had th- over 300 horsepower, um, and I don't, I didn't have that that model, but I did have the M Sport package, which is supposed to include the the updated suspension, and um, and it was fine. Uh, honestly, it was it was a really um, good drive. I found it to be responsive without being too stiff, um, and I found the powertrain really solid. So. 
I'm, I'm just trying to identify here who this car is for. And as far as I can understand, this is like, uh, this is not BMW's kind of, I don't know, maybe BMW's bread and butter has kind of moved on. We, we used to, uh, to me, the reason you get a BMW is because of the 3 Series, the 5 Series. Those are some sports sedans or executive you, you sedans. You get the X3 or the X5. I mean. And those are a bit and, – and then when you took, take a look at the X3 um, and X5, you've got products that are luxurious, comfortable, and high-tech. And I think that's what this X2 um, kind of demonstrates. This is not the fun-to-drive stuff anymore. This is kind of like the, wow, I'm, I'm in a – an expensive product, an expensive car full of technology that doesn't make sense. What is speaking of expensive? How much is it? You know what? I only had Canadian pricing. Let me take a look at my U.S. pricing because that would have made more sense. Um, it starts at. You could tell me the Canadian pricing. No, I don't want it. <laughs> okay. Because I'm, you know, I'm looking at while you're looking that up. Uh, oh yeah, I, sorry, fifty-two thousand for the uh, M, uh, the M thirty-five I model, and then forty-two thousand, ten thousand dollars cheaper for the um, X Drive twenty-eight. So if this is forty-two thousand dollars, how much is a base X three? How much is a base X three? That's a good point. I will look that up. I'm going to say well, forty-eight. I think it should be cheaper. Am I crazy? Well, it's not going to be cheaper than the X two. Oh. My internet's not working. Are we on a call together? Aren't we? Aren't we? The internet should be working. It should be working. I think you're being locked out of the BMW site, though, because you didn't upload your selfies. <laughs> That's true. You have to pay the selfie tax. Um, the X3... Um, starts at 46.9, but that's for a rear-wheel drive model. So you can make a huge upgrade. <laughs> like, right off the bat. You can pay $3,000 more, I guess. Yeah. And get a class-above vehicle... That is better in pretty much every way. Doesn't have the selfie cam. Doesn't, doesn't have, have the cons- the video game console. Yeah, but is going to, you know, actually as a vehicle, maybe be, uh, suit your needs better. I took a look at sales figures for the X2. Yep. Obviously, we don't have sales figures for this one because, you know, it, it just, just came, came out. out. But if you look at how the X2 has traditionally sold in the United States, it came out in 2018 and that was by far its best best year. It was like six, they sold 16,000 examples. And in 2021, they sold 6,000. So that's a really big drop. 2022 yeah. is the close, the nearest year I have, and it sold 2,600 examples. The thing is, if you look at Europe, it's the other way around. They actually went up for a bit. It was 36,000 the first year, and then 45,000 the second year, and then down to about 30,000, which is where it has kind of hovered. Uh, okay. This really suggests, where I'm going with this is, Sometimes you get automakers that have a product that was built for their home market. Yeah. And they bring it over here because maybe they can fill white space in a showroom, especially in the SUV world. And it doesn't matter too much uh, how the vehicle does because they're going to be building a certain number of them. Maybe it's cheaper for them to build more than to build less just from a parts supplier situation. And they're going to try and get rid of that excess inventory wherever they can. So I kind of feel like the X2... Up until now, hasn't really been a priority in North America for BMW, but maybe yeah. that's changed, and that's why we have this more generic family-style version of the car versus the European flashy hatchback version of the car. So I want to talk about the generic part of this. It doesn't look super generic. It's a sed- I mean, first of all, actually, I want to go back to what you said. I don't, want to, I don't want to deny what you just said. I want to acknowledge what you said. I agree with you. 
I think that they had a car that was super Europe, super European, and and it brought the best of both, uh, uh, the best and worst of, of that kind of design philosophy. It was really good to drive, but it was kind of small, uh, cramped, and didn't really suit North American um, needs, right? And then they built this one that's a bit larger, a totally more luxury oriented, and I actually think that all of these weird little features are what make it stand apart from a similar product in the in the marketplace. So you're saying that it's only the doodads and the gizmos. Yeah, exactly. And that's why you would get this thing. The X2 has always been the the alternative to the established um X1, right? The normal X1. And now you've got this other one that's loaded with tech, which I'm sure will eventually come to other BMWs, but you know, you want this because some, you want somebody to ask you about your car, to t for you to tell them about these weird things. This is why it looks so weird. It is the X2. It's different. Um, and I think that works out because I'm thinking of other subcompact luxury crossovers like uh, the Lexus UX, for example, or... The Lexus UX is much funkier style. You, th you think so? But it doesn't have all this interior gizmos and weirdness. I'm not talking about gizmos. I'm just talking about, you know, first impression. Because I'm, I think that most of these vehicles are going to be sold to people who don't care about the gizmos and are looking for the most the the, the most affordable way to buy the badge. The badge. That's, yeah. When I look yeah. at a, a compact, or it's not compact, but subcompact luxury car, yep. to me, people are buying the badge. Yeah, uh, I think that's fair. Because but, if you were going to be buying for practicality or utility, yes. you wouldn't care about the badge. You would buy right. a, a RAV4. But then you that's know? what I'm trying to say. If there, this car isn't as practical as some of the other products, like an X1 or an X3, or like, like you mentioned, even a, a mainstream brand. But it does have something that's different. It does have something. That's one of my biggest complaints that I used to have about the entry-level luxury car, is that it was just the badge attached to a, a really generic car. And this isn't quite that, right? It's got these weird things that make you feel like you spent money on something. Okay, but I, I just, I guess I can't see myself using those features. Oh, of course not. It's not for you or me, right? Like, and I don't, It's, it's again, for what, a 19-year-old? Exactly. $50, it's so bizarre, right? Um, I would guess so, but. Wow. I, and, and, and we've seen how many of those, based on BMW's sales figures <laughs> for the X2, we've seen how many of those people there are. I mean, I'm sure they're out there, but. Are they going to be buying an X2? I, I agree. I, I, I is agree. Is this like a, a really nice quinceanera present? Is that really what we're what we're looking at? Maybe a little bit older than that. A college kid maybe, but a, a, a privileged college kid? I don't know. Or I straight think, out I of school. Definitely a privileged college kid. Yeah. <laughs> but then if you're a privileged college kid, wouldn't you just ask daddy for like something else? <laughs> I don't know. A Centra SER? I hear you, Sam. Oh, yeah. Man, that's those were that's so all the privilege cool. Those were so cool days. growing up. They had the sweetest, stiffest suspension. We'd lose so many teeth over that. They're still around, aren't they? <laughs> uh, that doesn't count. All right. Uh, what have you been driving? You've been driving a luxury car that's kind of crazy. Yeah, so I unexpectedly ended up behind the wheel of something um, the that's related to a vehicle we've I drove, I want to say a couple months ago, and that's the Mercedes AMG EQE sedan. I drove the EQE 500 crossover SUV. It must have been January. This is the worst way to, to, to make cars. Sorry. For them. Now you've just added, you've added the nomenclature, which is EQE, and then the, the, the trim level, which is 500, and then 
the body style, which is SUV or sedan, right? Yeah. And then when you get to the AMG, it's no longer Mercedes Benz. It's Mercedes AMG EQV sedan. So like, and you got to pay attention to all of this before you, I know what you're talking about. Yet another thing that has changed. So this is a vehicle that very much like the EQS does not stand out in terms of style. The um, I would say the EQE the AMG version does a little bit of a better job because the wheels are actually really crazy. Like they're, they had this <laughs> crazy border. They look like they're multi-piece. It's, it's quite something, but the rest of the car is much like every other electric vehicle. Mercedes is offering under the EQ banner, pretty bland to look at. It's kind of a jelly bean. It was built in a, it was built for the, the, um, what am I thinking of wind tunnel? Yeah. They want it to be as efficient as possible. And uh, so they could get the maximum range from their battery pack and it's really uninspiring as a result. Uh, you get inside the car. It, my vehicle had the, the hyperscreen, the M-Bux hyperscreen, which is like a giant. You have a screen in front of the driver, one in the middle, and then one in front of the passenger for reasons that I don't understand. But all of that together, uh, the, my Canadian market car was $136,000. And $10,000 of that was the M-Bux hyperscreen. You can get it without it if you want. In the states, the yeah, car starts. Yeah, you want a focused AMG SUV, right? But <laughs> <laughs> the, the, in the in the states, the car starts at I believe one hundred six thousand. Is that the lightweight package? Maybe they should charge another ten thousand to remove the hyperscreen. I don't even to want to save think about weight. How much this <laughs> so it's a du- it's a dual motor car. Yep, it's considerably more powerful than the EQE five hundred. It has six hundred and seventeen horsepower and seven hundred and one pound feet of torque. Those are some really big numbers. They get bigger, though, if you use race start, which is a feature that allows you to, I guess, terrify your passengers from a <laughs> from a standing start. It adds uh, 75 or 76 horse. Sorry, not 70. It goes up to 677 for the horsepower and 738 for the torque. Holy. It's, it's part of the AMG Dynamic Plus package, which is funny because that package is standard <laughs> with the AMG. So I, I'm not sure why it's called a package, but... Anyway, I want to address this, the power of this car, because it is a little bit deceptive, Sammy. Okay, sure. Talk to me. They claim zero to 60 in three and a half seconds. That's very, very fast. When you're driving the car, it feels very, very quick most of the time. But unlike most of the EVs I've driven, the amount of power that you get in the EQE is directly linked to the drive mode. And I know you're thinking, oh, that makes sense. If I choose the sportiest drive mode, I get more power. And... That is true. But what's also true is if you're in normal drive mode, you only get like 80% of the normal power of the car. Hey, what the? Yeah. So um, I'm going to, I want to double check these figures. That's, that's misleading. There are three, there are three main drive modes. There's like a a drive mode where you can uh, program it yourself. Obviously, then there's a drive mode that's just called like comfort or eco. I can't remember which there is a sport mode and there's like a sport plus mode, that, that kind of thing. So you have these three main levels of of performance. And from what I remember, and I'm trying to verify this now. OK, yes, the full output of the engine is only available in sport plus mode. That's the only time you're getting like the 617 horsepower. And it's also the only way you can access race sport, race start, which happens, you you hit the brake, you hit the gas, and then it gives you race start. Okay, I'm okay with that because to me, that's a lot of power and you need to be like uh, maybe awake to, to, you need to be, you need to deliberately have access to that power. Sport. It's like, it's like, hold on. It's like that special key for the the Hellcat, right? I, I don't think so though, because the special key, it's, 
you, when you get in, it, you have full power. It's mm. it's like it's not like you have to also choose a drive mode. So if you go to sport, you're down to ninety percent. If you're in comfort, you're at eighty percent. And there's a there's a there's a mode I didn't mention earlier. It's called slippery, which is like for dealing with snow. It cuts power in half. No, oh, that's wrong. It needs to so, be it needs to be one hundred and ten one hundred and ten percent in slippery conditions. My problem is you're driving it in comfort. You have eighty percent of the power. That is just it's just not great. I feel it's weird. It's a weird customer experience. And it's still very fast, obviously. I mean, 80% of 617 horsepower is, is, you know, crazy. But isn't that com- just comparable to a regular non-AMG version? I don't know. You'd have to do the, you'd have to do the math on that. I don't want to. That. Uh, the, the other thing, though, that is not necessarily obvious about accessing the full power of this car. Remember I said the Sport Plus gives you 90% of the power or 100% of the power? Yeah. And Sport is 90? It turns out that Sport Plus is also 90 unless the certain conditions are met and most of those conditions have to do with the temperature of the battery pack oh right okay all righty now we're now there's a lot of nuance here i was driving in temperatures that ranged between quite a bit below freezing or right around freezing or just a little bit above that was the range i was in okay i was never once able to access the full power of the eqe how do you know? It just locks you out of a mode? It te- it You know because on the dashboard, instead of a tachometer, yeah. it has a screen that shows you power output. Mm-hmm. And that screen has a – you can think of it as a red line, and that red line moves depending on which mode you're in. Okay. So if you're in normal and you hit your or comfort, sorry, it shows you a, a bar at 80% or like a little red dot at 80%. Then you go to sport, that rises to 90. And then when I would go to sport plus, it stayed at 90 and, Sammy, when I tried to access race mode in Sport Plus, it would just tell me the conditions are not possible to access Sport to, to access race launch right now. Okay. So, so you're telling me they expect every single uh, AMG, AMG buyer to have like a checklist that ha- they have to go through to ensure that they have uh, the maximum performance of their vehicle. That's, what that's I'm telling it? you, no, what I'm telling you, it's a little bit different. I mean, it's obvious that most launch control systems don't function unless the steering wheel is straight, the car is level, and the engine is up to temperature. I understand that. But the fact is, in Sport Plus, I'm still locked into 90% of the power because the battery temperature never rose above four degrees Celsius, even after driving for an hour and a half on the highway. Wow. The temperature did not change on the battery so if you buy a mercedes amg eqe sedan for five months of the year you're going to be locked out of the full performance that you paid for i can't think of a single other electric vehicle manufacturer that does the same thing i mean i I don't know who does it like maybe people are are less transparent about it but i haven't heard of this right it's would be it would be one thing if all it did was lock you out of race start but yeah. to lock you out of that final 10% of the power, which is, you know, 60 horses, that's not nothing. Uh, that's, I don't get it. I don't understand how, like, I understand the engineering behind it. And Mercedes is probably worried about damaging the battery yeah, because it's being used in an, in an aggressive way. A lot of power is being pulled out of it at a temperature where it could cause damage. But if that's the case... You need to back off on the power delivery in your car, not yeah. advertise your car at a certain level of power and then not deliver it. Yeah, agreed. I mean, that's tough. That's a really that's that's going to cause I mean, let me be let me be clear though. Mercedes has been really botching its EV delivery, I think. It, it, it all of their EVs are really struggling. Maybe the EQB is the least um polarizing to me, but they they all the other ones kind of look a little 
like lame. They they drive a little funky. They're they they all have these weird interiors that I don't think resonate super well. Um, and the pricing is is all over the place. And then there's the nomenclature that we mentioned earlier, which which makes them even more convoluted to kind of understand or wrap your head around, right? Yeah. So, just kind of rounding out the experience, it, you're paying over a hundred thousand dollars for this vehicle, regardless of where you live. The range for the vehicle is two hundred twenty five miles. That's not great. No. That's pretty average, I think. I mean, it's usable, but for a vehicle this expensive, it kind of feels like a little bit of a consolation prize. Um, and I, the for it, it when I was driving it during the when things warmed up a little bit, I thought it was pretty accurate in terms of the the battery. It's a it's a ninety point six kilowatt hour battery, and that's works out to about three hundred and sixty kilometers of driving. I think, mm-hmm. and the the car was actually showing me another fifty past that, based on if I drove more conservatively. So I think I think Mercedes is being a little bit careful with their range advertising. I just wish they had been similarly careful with the the drivetrain's power and its and its capability. It, I shouldn't be buying a compromised AMG. Like that's for me. That's the bottom line. I, I should have the baddest car in the Mercedes Benz lot if I drive off with an AMG. Like in, in that particular segment. And because of this, I did not have that feeling in this car. And if I had paid that money and and seen that 90% stuck on the dash, I would have been so frustrated. Yeah, of course. Absolutely. Uh, that's a lot of money to lock something out of uh, a, a buyer, right? Like, yeah. with nothing for you able to do. Uh, nothing that you can do. Um, so I think that's that's my biggest concern here. Is- so, yeah, like you said, you know, Mercedes has kind of botched its, its EV rollout. They're making these non-memorable cars that are really, really quick in a straight line. And I guess the handling is fine in this car. I don't have any complaints about that. But it never made me want to drive it quickly. And I was, you know, disappointed by how the vehicle managed its power output. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's, I think, all I really want to say about the EQE. Um, it's... Yeah. Yeah, it's it's disappointment. It's a disappointing vehicle, you know? And it's strange because it's so overwhelming in, in other ways. Oh, the other thing, there's there's actually three other things I do want to mention about it. Okay. Thank you for reminding me that with your pause there. I know it might not have been intentional, but it worked. The braking system on the car, you can... I don't for people who haven't driven an electric vehicle or a hybrid there's often a point of interchange where you can feel the car moving from the regenerative bra- regenerative braking system to the traditional braking system on a performance car it can sometimes be more pronounced and on the AMG here there was really a big gap like I would be braking and then I would feel the transition and then suddenly the brakes were back again Ooh. that's not confidence inspiring in such a heavy vehicle that can go so quickly no I also had a problem with the HUD, the head-up display. It was enormous. Like, I'm talking the size of my chest out over the dash. What's wrong with that? I love that. What's wrong with that is I couldn't change it. So it would put as much information out there as possible. I don't need to see driving directions and other information. I just need to see my speed and maybe the speed limit. Okay. I I couldn't figure out how to change that. Um, the, the, The third and final thing that is a little embarrassing about the car and I'm sure I can turn this on and off, but when you use the fob or walk close to it to unlock or lock the car, it makes like the Netflix sound combined with the THX sound together, like, (laughs) and it's really loud. Okay. Everyone turns to look at you 
and, and it's thinking, who's this jerk with his car that like that basically thinks it's Hans Zimmer every yeah. time he opens the door? And that is that is wild. Like that is, I think, a very in-your-face AMG thing. Final thing, the car has a uh, puddle lamp that shows a giant Mercedes logo. Yeah. <laughs> like really big, like pizza size, but only on the driver's side. <laughs> <laughs> what happens on the passenger side? I don't know. I asked my passenger if they have one and they didn't. And then they came around and saw mine. They're like, where's mine? I'm, I'm jealous. So it was just weird. So, okay. I'm going to stop talking about this car now. Okay. I'm not sure who this car is for. I would like to see Mercedes get things together on the AMG front. I think they could do so much better. And that's all I have to say about this vehicle. Okay, well, um, I think it's fair. I think your 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 judgment on this is totally fair. I think that Mercedes has a has a big issue on their hands with their EV rollout. I don't get it. I don't know how they could how they can botch because it seems like the engineering for the most part is there. Maybe not with this with these AMGs, but other ones. I, mean, I don't know. Like it's, we've seen companies like BMW build EVs that don't look like jelly beans. Yep. You know, that have visual personality, whether you like it or not. Or Genesis like or, you know, yes. like. Exactly. Yeah. So it's possible and Mercedes has decided not to do that and it's puzzling. Agreed. Um, and I don't know. I don't know what the best. I can't. I cannot imagine them. Recovering from this, this, these design decisions quickly. Do you know what I, I mean? I don't see where this evolves to. I exactly. don't understand where the EQ series evolves to. Both the EQE and the EQS are so similar looking. Even if you were to, what changes could you possibly make that don't alter the aerodynamics, which is clearly why these cars were designed this way. But the you benefit know, isn't even there. I mean, this thing doesn't have more range than everything else, right? No, it doesn't. I, and, you know, part of that is perhaps because it's ridiculously powerful. But at the same time, yeah. It's that's that's a legitimate concern. We've talked about this before in terms of luxury automakers that are doing um, an excellent job on the on the EV front. We've said that BMW seems to be um, right up there at the top, right? Yes. We'll agree on that. Genesis doesn't seem so far behind either. For sure. But Genesis hasn't taken as many steps towards dedicated EVs as BMW or Mercedes has. Okay. They've done mostly conversion cars, which are very good. And then they have the one dedicated EGMP car. Which I don't really love, but it's good enough. Yeah. Okay. Interesting. And we're still waiting for, you know, Acura and Lexus to do that. And Audi and Porsche have delivered some pretty good EVs too. That's true. That's true. I'm I'm a big fan of the the uh, the uh, Audi GT. Is that what it's called? Etron GT. Yeah. E-tron GT. And I like the Taycan. Like I think that's that's the pinnacle for me. That's peak. And I think that those, uh, even beyond them being good now or being good a few years ago, I feel like there's headroom for those cars. I feel like I can see those cars evolving in a way I don't see at AMG. Okay. Interesting. Good point. Anything else you want to talk about this week? No, I think I'm tapped out. What are we driving? What are we driving next week? Next week, I'm going to be talking about the BMW i5 M60. Okay. And next week, I've got a... Yes. I'm just going to say, I think it's in many ways equivalent to this EQE. Interesting. Okay, cool. Just in terms of market position. Yeah. Uh, And I'll be driving a Subaru Ascent. Um, Although it's kind of boring to talk about Subarus, they've recently been on a sales tear and a, they've, they were, they were, did you know that Subaru is named, was named the best mainstream automaker by Consumer Reports two years in a row? I thought, I thought, okay. Don't you own like, don't you own like six Outbacks? I own two right now. You know, between yeah. the two of us, we own four Subarus, 
and you own an almost Subaru. <laughs> yes, that's right. that's right. Mine is made by Subaru, but doesn't have the same badge. That's right. Yeah. So, so, so I think yeah, if we're, we're talking about where that automaker is and why they're getting so much attention and whether or not it's deserved. Actually, to be honest, because uh, there's a lot to talk about with the, with this automaker. All right. Well, if you want to hear us talk about that next week, you can go to unnamedautomotivepodcast.com and find the episode there. Or you can go to any podcatcher, uh, Spotify, Amazon, Google, Apple, all of that stuff. We are on there. And if you do find us on your favorite podcatcher, please leave a little comment or a rating or tell your friends or subscribe. That That's that's always really helpful. I love that. Um, if you don't want to tell your friends, but you want to talk to somebody, talk to us. Go over to our website, unnamedautomotivepodcast.com. There's a contact form there. You fill it out, and uh, whatever you're saying it lands in our inbox. We read it. We usually discuss it. We talk about it on the podcast. Sammy um, writes it down on a note, puts it under his pillow, dreams about it, writes about it in his dream journal. Yeah, how did you know? Because I, I dreamt about, about that too, Sammy. Oh, yeah. We're sharing. We're dreaming the same dream. And then additionally, if you uh, if you want to if you want to. D- Contact us another way. You can reach out to us on social media. You can find Ben on Instagram. He's at Hunting Benjamin. You can find me on the social media network formerly known as Twitter. I'm at Sammy underscore ha, like you're laughing. Or you can just email us the old-fashioned way. It's Benjamin at BenjaminHunting.com. All right. Thanks for listening, everybody. Bye.